Would you please pray with me? Dear God, in your word, you give us a picture of what a healthy life can look like with you. I pray that as we study your word this morning, you would give us a renewed understanding and a fresh desire to follow you in that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. There is a concept in uh, many organizations and also as a principle in leadership called a vision statement. This vision statement or this mission statement is a guiding set of values that says this is what our company is going to do. When something pops up that we want to do, we run it by this mission statement. If it's in line with our values, if it's in line with what we want to get accomplished, it's something the company can do. But if it's not in line with what the company does, if it's not in line with what the company values, then either it's changed or it's discarded. And this kind of uh, vision statement or this mission statement, if you're a nerd like I am, you can see it in a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy. I believe it was in the second volume where uh, the Ravagers come and talk to one of their own clan, and they exile somebody from the guild because he broke their code. Although they liked the guy, although they wanted to keep him in, because he broke the code, the code had the final say. And this idea is interesting because whether we realize it or not, we all live by some kind of code. Sometimes that code is, I have no code. And that code is kind of a little bit of a misnomer because if you say you have no code, that is a code, so you kind of have a code. But there's something greater that we're going to read today that says, if we allow it, this has the potential to make the best kind of call in our life, to have the final word that leads us to a place where we are never disappointed in the end. The code that the Ravagers had in Guardians of the Galaxy left them disappointed because they had to exile one of their friends. Although in the end they got reunited, I won't spoil much more than that. But there's a kind of code we can live by that has something better in mind for us. As we've been walking our way through the third chapter of Colossians, we've seen the first response we need to have to a life of faith. The series that we're in is called Real Faith, Real Life. How do we live out our faith in our lives? What we continually see in this chapter is Paul's desire that those who read would set their minds on something that is above rather than on things that are below. What we continually preoccupy our minds with tends to direct the aim of our lives. If we are continually disappointed of where we find ourselves in life, it might be time to try something new. And the healthiest and most lasting change begins when we shift our focus away from the things that keep us in the same ruts and in the same place in life and begins to help us move past them to something different, to a new trajectory in life. From there, as we read last week, as we begin to set our minds on things above, 
our aim on better things, there are characteristics that hold us back in the same position in life that we want to move away from. Paul used very strong language. He said, put to death these qualities in life. If there's something that's holding us back from who we want to be, if there's something holding us back and keeping us in an unhealthy cycle in life, Paul says, cut your ties with it. Living out our real faith in our real lives means we cannot continue to hold on to anger, slander, or greed. Paul has, uh, Christ has called us to something better. And as we focus on the things above instead of the things below, as we focus on Christ, we have a renewed direction for our lives. Also last week we looked that Paul said, there is something better. And he told us what those better things look like. He said, as you think about yourself, think this thought. You are chosen by God, you are made holy by God, and you are beloved by God. And as you are chosen, as you are made holy, and as you are dearly beloved by God, there are some qualities in life that if you put these on, will lead you to a better spot. And this is where we pick up our passage today. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. We need to look at a couple of ideas, a couple of words, before we can formulate this into an idea that we draw application from. The first thing that we have to deal with is the word peace. Um, if you've heard the word peace thrown around, there's a hundred different dictionary definitions you can find. Just scour the internet scour people's Facebook page, scour the Bible, scour some other religious text from a different religion, and you will find a different definition everywhere you go. And in our culture, peace seems to mean something the lines of uh, a cease fire, something where there's, an where there's an absence of tension and things are just okay. But I want to give a different perspective. The Bible gives a very different definition for peace. In fact, when you start looking at the word peace, it's always backwards looking. Backwards looking to a time when everything was right. A time when God and mankind lived in harmony together. The idea behind shalom, the idea behind peace, looks back to the Garden of Eden where man was able to walk with God in the cool of the garden. We were able to talk with God like a friend talks with a friend. And this idea of peace is not just a cease fire, where there's an absence of tension. The biblical idea of peace is a wholeness in a relationship. If you've ever been in a fight with someone you care about, family, if you're married, if your spouse, if you have kids, a child, if you have siblings, then with a sibling or with a parent. You know what it's like to have a ceasefire. At any moment, the wrong trigger could set off an explosion. 
Biblical peace says it's not just a ceasefire where there's an absence of tension, but there is a wholeness in the relationship where you enjoy being around the other people. That is the biblical idea of peace. And Paul gives us a very practical idea of what to do with this peace. Uh, the English that we used, it's the ESV, English Standard Version, said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And initially when I studied this, I thought it might be like a judge or a uh, king. Uh, but for you who are sports, fan, uh, sports fans out there, you'll enjoy this. The original idea behind this word rule is actually an umpire, a referee, someone who would make the call during the Olympic Games, who would direct the course of the game, who would decide the winner in a contest. And the practical idea Paul is trying to get is, when you think about the peace of Christ, this wholeness, this reconciliation, he's saying, would you let the peace of Christ make the final call in your life? Would you allow the peace of Christ to have the final say, to have the final word in your life? Paul's saying this becomes like a code of conduct of how we treat each other, of how we view life. Just like a vision statement for an organization, just like the Ravagers from Guardians of the Galaxy, Paul's saying this can become a code for your life about how you treat the people around you. And it's that, uh, that idea, that way of thinking about peace, that I want us to explore this morning. Because it's a little bit vague to say, how do you let this make the final call in your life? And uh, these ideas that I found are connected with the peace of Christ throughout Scripture. One idea of how you can let the peace of Christ make the final call let Christ's resilient peace have the final word. This is what God says. The mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord. These words were not written during a happy-go-lucky time where people were uh, following God and it was all hunky-dory. This was written in a time where God's people were having a crisis of faith. They were saying, do we follow the superpowers of the world who are saying, if you follow us, we'll help you beat the other bad guys? Uh, they were having a crisis of faith that said, can we trust a God whom we cannot see? They were having a crisis of faith, and they were vacillating back and forth between God. And yet, when God looked at his people, he said, I'm not going to treat you based on how you've been treating me. God said, I'm going to treat you based on my own character. And the character of God says, his peace is resilient. It is eternal. He does not remove his peace from his people. When we appeal to the peace of Christ, when we let the resilient peace of Christ make the final call in our lives, what we're saying to our family, what we're saying to our friends is this idea. I know we're in the midst of a tense situation right now, and I'm going to appeal to the peace of Christ that we don't quit on each other 
when things are difficult. I want to stick through with you, thin and, thick and thin. Just like the peace of Christ sticks with me through thick and thin, I want this idea of reconciliation, this idea of wholeness to be at the forefront of what we do. Letting Christ's peace rule in our hearts also means letting Christ's self-giving peace have the final word. Listen to what the scriptures say. Upon him was the punishment for our sins that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. In order to bring us peace, Christ gave the best of himself for us. Even though we took the first step away from him, he didn't wait for us, he didn't wait for us to make the first step back. He didn't say, I'll give you peace if you do X, Y, Z. He didn't look at us and say, I will bring you peace when you do A, B, C. The peace of Christ takes the first step in giving something up in order to bring wholeness to the moment. For you who are spouses or couples, if you want to let the peace of Christ have the final word in your life, there is something that you sometimes have to give up to make things whole. Sometimes it looks like giving up your sense of entitlement. Um, okay, if you work 40, 50 hours in a week and it's hard and strenuous, sometimes you have to be willing to give up a little bit of that entitlement to sit back on the couch and spend five minutes helping your spouse. Sometimes it looks like giving a little bit more energy to uh, work with your kids so that way they can get something of the best of you and bring wholeness to a moment. For those of you who have siblings or who are young adults, you don't, you're not married, you don't have a significant other, sometimes you have to give up something of yourself as well in order to make things work with your parents, with your siblings, or take it outside the family context with your friends. When we want to move towards wholeness, when we want to move towards peace in a relationship, sometimes we have to appeal to the self-giving peace of Christ and give something of ourselves up first to make that first step. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Allowing the peace of Christ to have the final say does not mean sweeping things under the rug. Okay, if everyone, especially dealing with families, trust me, I know, if everyone swept everything under the rug, if we swept all the dirt under the mat, nobody would be able to get through the front door. Appealing to the self-giving peace of Christ does not mean ignoring the issue. It means dealing with things as they come up. And when we do move to deal with the problems, when we appeal to the peace of Christ, we have to let 
Christ's reconciling peace have the final say. In another of his letters, Paul tells us, uh, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. By giving the best of himself in his self-giving peace, Christ removes what is worst in us, that which was hostile towards God, and replaces it, uh, produces a peace between us and God. By giving the best of himself, Christ also removes that which was most displeasing to God and makes peace between us and God. By Reconciling peace means more than just an absence of tension, more than just a ceasefire. Reconciling peace means bringing back to a state of wholeness that which was broken. All right. It does require that we give something up, but it doesn't mean that we sweep things under the rug. Christ didn't sweep things under the rug when he said, there's an issue between you and I but he also didn't take what was worse than us and slap it back in our face and say, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, and if I had to keep going on, this could go on for a bit of an eternity. As I get older, I add more things to the list. Maybe you're the same way if you're honest, otherwise I'll publicly just admit that, okay? If we took everything that our family did wrong and threw it back in their faces, we would never get anywhere. Spouses, can I please encourage you? Move towards resolution and move towards forgiveness. You have to deal with the problems that come up. Um, there are a lot of scientific studies that say don't hold, don't hold this in a little jar off to the side neatly. Eventually that leaks out. Scripture is also very clear. What we hide in ourselves eventually comes out. Um, there's a story in the Old Testament. I was debating whether or not to use that as uh, our text for this morning. King David, he was a very famous king, and he had a couple of sons, and his two oldest sons had a feud. The oldest son uh, seriously transgressed against this younger son, and the younger son said nothing for two whole years. And as he thought about this day after day, that anger, that bitterness, that resentment built up in his heart so much that he devised a way, snapped in his heart, and murdered his brother in cold blood. Okay. It might be a bit of an extreme case, but it's the reality that we live in. As long as we fester on those, that bitterness, that pain, regardless what they did, it's an old proverb, but it still rings true. Holding on to that bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. It damages our souls as much as it damages our relationships to hold on to that resentment. And the longer it takes us to deal with it, the more pain, the more damage there will be along the way. We can spend our energy finding ways to get back at a person. Or we can spend our energy planning for peace. Yes, 
we have to acknowledge the other person hurt us. And yes, I'm not going to hide it. Yes, sometimes they hurt us in significant ways. In fact, the more you trust somebody, the more it hurts when they break that trust. But we ourselves will never fully heal from that wound until we appeal to the reconciling peace of Christ and find a way to move towards resolution and forgiveness. Instead of getting even with our families for what they did wrong to us, what if we allowed the reconciling peace of Christ to have the final word and chose to resolve the issue and learned to forgive each other instead of plotting for ways to get back at each other? Forgiving, by the way, is not the same as forgetting. Um, the older I get, the more I'm able to remember things that happen. Forgiveness is saying, I'm choosing not to hold this against you. Literally, the Greek word afiemi means to let something go. If I were to take this pen and drop it, I'm letting it go. Forgiveness is letting go of something, not because you're dismissing it as it wasn't painful, but you're choosing not to hold it against the person. How they treated you, because you've let it go, because we learned to let things go, how they treated us is not how we treat them. Forgiveness is, I will not treat you based on how you treated me. I live by a different code. I live by a different way of conduct. I want to move toward reconciliation. That wholeness of relationship. Going along with this idea of reconciling peace is this other idea. Let Christ's sanctifying peace have the final word. In Christianity, the word sanctification is a big word. Breaking it down basically means making somebody more like Christ. And listen to this. May the God of peace himself make you like Christ. Christ completely. This was a prayer that Paul had for the church of Thessalonians, and he's saying, as you think about the peace of God, God desires to make you more and more like Christ. Changing that code of conduct from something that leaves you disappointed and dissatisfied to something that is healthier and allows you to move past the same mistakes, past the ruts we find ourselves in. Because God is the God of peace, when he makes known what we've done wrong, it's not to slam it back in our face. He does so to call the best out in us. Okay, this is significant. If God calls out things in us to call out the best in us, what if we learn to do the same for our family? Instead of bringing up things that people have done in order to demean them, what if we said, what if we brought things up in a way that said, I want to help you become the person Christ wants you to be. I want us to move towards a state of reconciliation, of wholeness, where we are both mutually helping each other get better. This changes criticisms, hey, you left your laundry on the floor again, to we want to have a clean house where we're able to function in a healthy way. Would you partner with me? 
It changes from you keep nitpicking me for every little thing that happens to what if we found ways to complement each other and give, be a little bit more thankful. Spoiler, that's coming up in a few minutes. Appealing to this peace of Christ gives us the capacity to do that. If your spouse is, you get to look at your spouse and say, I want to help you become more like Christ. By the way, that is the entire point of marriage, helping each other become more like Christ. For those of you who are part of a family, you have children or grandchildren, you have siblings, you have parents, you can also appeal to this peace of Christ and say, I'm not going to bring things up to demean you. I want to bring things up in a way by giving something of myself up first. Then moving towards reconciliation, I want to help call out the best in you. And I hope you help call the best out in me. In family life sometimes, the source of tension is not in the family. Sometimes it's an external pressure. And in those moments of reality, we would do well to remember, let Christ's guarding peace have the final word. This is a wonderful idea that Paul says. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, by asking things of God, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And yes, this word for guard literally acts as a guard, as in you're guarding a prison or you're guarding something valuable. You have the secret service guarding your family. Okay? As we appeal to the peace of Christ, when our family is going through something difficult, whether it be as a whole, um, or whether it be something individual, something at work, something uh, with certain sides of the family, extended family, something with coworkers, what if we took the initiative in that moment and said, I want to invite the peace of Christ into this moment to guard your heart and mind because God delights to do that. What if we took the initiative with our kids to say, I'm going to pray for you and invite the peace of Christ to guard your hearts and minds? Husbands, when was the last time you heard your, uh, when was the last time your wife heard you pray that the peace of God would guard her heart and mind? Wives, when was the last time your husband heard you pray for him that the peace of God would guard his heart and mind? Parents, when was the last time your kids heard you pray and invite the peace of God into a difficult moment? Hey, kids, we could also invite the peace of God into our parents' lives. When was the last time we invited the peace of God to guard our parents' hearts and minds?
there have been and will continue to be troubling times. Every generation can point to a number of incidents where they thought things were going to go downhill permanently. Um, I did a couple of research papers between the time of uh, 19, give or take, 1912, 1914, through the mid-20th century, 1950s, 1960s. Um, in an irony, although he did not mean it ironically then, there was an author who came out with a book and in 1914, and if you know your history, during 1914, there was a war raging across the world. And in his book, he said it was going to be the war to end all wars. Following that history, we know that's called World War I because there was a second World War War that followed. Following that generation, you had things like uh, Desert Storm, 9-11, and even more recently, we had to go through a worldwide pandemic where it was difficult to see what was true, what was not true, where people had conspiracy theories, where people tried to see the truth and mislabeled truth, okay? Every single generation has circumstances that they can point to and say, this is a troubling time. But there's a piece of Christ that we can appeal to in this moment, that we can let have the final say. And I encourage you, for your families, let Christ's fear-relieving peace have the final word. Jesus himself said this, my peace I give you. Peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives peace do I give peace to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace that the world gives is a peace that's found outside of Christ. Outside of Christ, the only peace the world can offer is something temporary, it doesn't last forever. It's shallow. It doesn't get to the heart of the issue. And it leaves us high and dry and in the same spot we find ourselves. Christ said his peace is different. This peace that Christ gives is so much better. It, is, it does not imply that situations around the world aren't all that bad. It does recalibrate our thinking, though, to say that our peace comes from remembering who Christ is, not from the circumstances we find ourselves in. When you trace the history of Christ's peace, he looked at Moses and said, in the, I want you to go free my people from the world power of the day. I'm going to give you peace, and the peace you have is because I will be with you. God said his presence would go with Moses. When he was raising Joshua up to lead a nation, he said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. In other words, have peace. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He will not leave you or forsake you. 
And in the New Testament, when his disciples were absolutely afraid for their lives because of a storm that came out of nowhere, Christ came walking on the water to them and said, I am the one who has all being in and of himself, the one who depends on nothing for existence. I am. Do not be afraid. He doesn't say ignore the storm that's going on. He said, focus on me. Remember who I am. And in light of that, do not be afraid. From every circumstance, God is able to work good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Although we don't always see what we would call the silver lining, God is able to do something good in the midst of those situations. And when we appeal to this fear-relieving peace, we're asking God to give us peace in the moment, to remember that he is in our midst, working for good what people meant for evil. Especially for you who are in older generations, you have the ability to appeal to the peace of Christ for those in younger generations. They already know that the world is an intimidating place, and yes, they've heard the adage a hundred times over that the world was better when you were younger. Okay, we get it. What the younger generation needs to hear is an appeal to the peace of Christ that relieves fear in the midst of trying circumstances. They need to know that fear doesn't have to be the deciding factor in their lives. Their code of conduct does not have to be fear-driven. For those of us who are in younger generations, um, we also have the capacity, the ability, to appeal to the peace of Christ and remind the older generation that Christ isn't done with them yet. Yes, they may have walked a long and faithful life with Christ, or maybe they haven't, but Christ still has something planned for them. And if we can appeal to the peace of Christ that relieves fear, maybe they would see that they still have a purpose in Christ's plan. And lastly, I want to appeal um, to the peace of Christ that produces gratitude. Let Christ's peace produce gratitude instead of grumbling. Paul, as he's writing this letter, he's going through these ideas that if you want to set your mind on the things above, these are the qualities you can put on as God's chosen ones, as God's holy ones, and as God's beloved ones. And he adds to this little phrase, continually become thankful. All right. What would it look like if we tried to bring peace into the situation by having a grateful heart instead of a grumbling heart? Instead of finding the next way to say, you know, the weather's really not as we would want it. Um, instead of saying, finding little things to nitpick in our families. 
instead of saying how traffic was bad or how work was eh or how, what if we find ways to be grateful and bring peace through that? The more we grumble, the less pleasant it is to be a part of that situation. The more gratitude we can bring in, the more thankfulness we can bring into the moment, the more of a wholeness there is, the more peace there is in that relationship. There's a couple of ways that we can try and instill gratitude in each other. First of all, find ways to be thankful to God. There are so many things that happen in our lives, day in and day out, that if we take 10 minutes or even five minutes to say, I need to find three things to be grateful for today. Find three things you can be grateful for that day. Write them down, whether it's on your phone or in a journal. And then say a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Thank you that I got to wake up next to my family this morning. Thank you that your peace was at work. I was stressed out about this meeting. I was stressed out about this work job your peace was there. Thank you for giving a little bit of extra peace to my family today. Three things to be grateful for. Simple. They don't have to be complex. And then say a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Over time, it becomes easier and easier and easier to spot those. And by the way, if you're curious, yes, there are health benefits for having a heart of gratitude as opposed to a heart of grumbling there are actually physical differences that can happen in your body. Uh, you're, they say, some studies say you live a little bit longer, you are uh, less likely to have depression, uh, you're able to be a little bit more resilient and bounce back from different problems, okay? Find ways to be grateful to God and say a prayer of thanksgiving. But also, find ways to be grateful towards your family. Say thank you more often. If it's a rare thing for your spouse, for your kids, for your parents, for your siblings to hear you say thank you to them, I would encourage you to appeal to this, uh, this piece of Christ and begin to add a little bit of gratitude into the mix. And as you give a little bit of yourself to give that compliment, to give that little bit of thanks, Maybe they might be willing to respond in the same way. Instead of criticizing each other, compliment each other. Again, this doesn't mean sweeping things under the rug, but it does mean finding ways your spouse, your kids, your parents, your siblings have helped you in that day, have helped you throughout that week. I had to do a uh, serious gut check. Um, this uh, past year, I celebrated 15 years of studying music. And when I was in college, I celebrated uh, 10 years of playing music. And as I looked back over my life, I hadn't said thank you more than a handful of times to my parents for the times they took me to lessons, even though they could have done something else, for the times they invested in me and uh, yeah, when I first started, I wasn't all that great, um, but they still listened to me anyways. I had neglected to say thank you. What if we found ways to say thank you, whether it's for things that they have 
constantly done in our lives, or if it's something they just do in the spur of the moment. All right. And this is the challenge that Paul is saying for applying faith to our family. Let Christ's resilient peace have the final word. Let Christ's self-giving peace have the final say. Let Christ's sanctifying peace call out the best in each other. Let Christ's guarding peace encourage us to build up the other people in our family when things are difficult. And when things seem intimidating, let us appeal to the fear-relieving peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. And instead of creating a culture of grumbling, let's appeal to the peace of gratitude that stems from how Christ is at work in our families. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this peace that gives us uh, the ability to be resilient. I pray that as we uh, let the peace of Christ into our lives, that you would make us more like Christ. I pray that the peace of Christ would enable us to pursue peace over the long haul with our families. I pray that peace, as we consider the peace of Christ, we would become more selfless towards each other. I pray that we could learn to bring peace into our families through forgiveness, just as Christ did for us. I pray that we could encourage and remind each other that when life is difficult, the peace of Christ is there to alleviate anxiety and fear. And I pray that the peace of Christ would produce in us an attitude that makes our families a pleasant place to be. And I pray that as we do this, Christ would be glorified in everything. Dear God, we love you, and we thank you, and it's in your Son, Jesus' name.